0: Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording the show on December 2nd, 2020. 85 years ago today, Mark Davis was hired as an apprentice animator at Disney Studios.
1: Never heard of him. Never heard of him. No,
0: I'm kidding. you (laughs) You know, I've been thinking a lot about Mark lately. It was 20 years ago... This January that we lost him. And of course, you know, we've seen a couple of great books come out about his life. We had the Mark Davis, Walt Disney's Renaissance Man back in October of 2014. And then, of course, that amazing two-volume set, Mark Davis's, in his own words, Imagining the Disney Theme Parks, which came out in September of last year. Amazon currently has copies of the Mark Davis, Walt Disney's Renaissance Man, used copies going for 72 bucks, Drew. Uh, whereas a, a, Really? A, yep, a brand new copy that you have to pay 90 for. Whereas you can get a brand new copy of Mark Davis in his own words for $79.79, which is half of what that two-volume set was going for this fall.
1: Worth every penny, I think.
0: Well, no, no, no. And, and what kills me, though, is uh, I want to say a week ago, Amazon was running a Black Friday Cyber Monday thing where I think you had to have a coupon, but you can actually get, Mark Davis is an award for just $55. Wow. It's a wonderful book. I mean, it's no art of Pixar's onward.
1: (laughs) What is, Jim? What is?
0: Which, again, going for just $17.99.
1: Clearly, this book was a huge hit, Jim, if it's going Uh, for $17.
0: No, no, no. no. (laughs) See, no, you say this now. But again, you look at what happened, you know, that Mark Davis, you know, Walt Disney's Renaissance Man thing i want to say that was 25 maybe 40 dollars six years ago and the fact that it's doubled and in some cases tripled its price
1: well you know you and i both know that we when we're doing projects and things it becomes a kind of like game of of shell that who who has what art of book that maybe you don't have and is there now out go. of print it's a nightmare i i'm i'm currently trying to find the Tron legacy book if anybody has it let me know please send oh. it to me i am like in desperate need
0: Okay, I I think, again, it's in the basement, but I'm in the middle of my library reorg project, so when I find- Which has been going on for how long, Jim? uh, (laughs) There are thousands of books, they keep coming. I know. By the way, not to nag, but I did send you my copy of The Art of Onward- I
1: have it, Jim, I have it. Several
0: months ago, to be (laughs) autographed.
1: You didn't like my hastily signed um, card in the other one? (laughs)
0: Were you being pursued by supervillains at the time? I mean, I'm, th- I'm just gonna say it was not.
1: It was not a glamorous book signing that you <sighs> see in movies. It was me sweating in mm-hmm. a like storage room over this giant stack of cards, but. It was the only signing I got to do, so I, I, I did have fun. I will say that.
0: I'm grateful to have that card, but I want the real one. I will. So, I will give it to you. And, okay. And I,
1: and I got the uh, the Art of Soul book this week, too, which is absolutely fabulous. You were it right.
0: It is. No, it's a, a killer yeah. book. Killer work. But don't
1: read it. If you're like Jim and want to ruin it for yourself, you can read it, but don't. I just
0: saw a piece of art today that totally gives away. Uh, I, I saw this online as part of somebody's review. And they don't mention the plot twist, but there's this piece of art that involves, just, again, it's one of these things you cannot look at it and go, oh, oh yeah, so, don't.
1: we've said too much, Jim. Yeah.
0: Okay. Anyway, holiday shopping makes me think of holiday specials. And six years ago tonight, the Toy Story that Time Forgot debuted on ABC, which was good. But again, no prep and landing, which brings me to my complaint of the week. You have the soapbox, Jim. Go ahead. This past Sunday, Channel Surfing and ABC is running Prep and Landing. I love this special. I think it, in a lot of ways, it was one of the things that signaled that Walt Disney Animation Studio was back, that they could make this this wonderful, cute, clever, genuinely entertaining all the way through 22-minute long holiday special. So I'm sitting there. again, I've seen it countless times. So I know this thing backwards and forwards. And it, they're well into... The second act of the show, they get to the point where McGee calls Santa in the sleigh and uses the code Figgy Pudding. They have to veer away from Timmy's house because of the storm, because the prep and landing site hasn't been made. And, and then at that exact moment, they cut the commercial. And I'm sitting there and I start foaming at the mouth because there's 90 seconds left in act two. That actually sets up the whole third act of this holiday special. And Disney, for the first time, and, and I know in the history of of holiday specials, they do this all the time. Anyone who watched Rudolph on CBS back in the the nineties, you know, there were whole scenes that were cut to to make time for more commercials. But but this one, it, the fact I thought that was I thought that was because
1: of uh, Rudolph's outspoken stance against Richard Nixon <laughs> that it was cut. <laughs>
0: This this is true. And, and, okay. and, and Hermes terrible addiction problem. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, and this is on ABC. This is something Disney. All, I mean, but at the same time, the fact is, all right. If I want to see this in original form, I can go over to Disney Plus. You know, all 22 minutes and all their glory are preserved there. And I get it's a it's been a lousy year. It's 2020. Networks need to make more money, but it's just like you cut those in the ninety seconds you cut out of it. While we are talking about somewhat crappy things, you and I have known about this for a while. Uh, We haven't... I mean, I think we've hinted at it on a couple of episodes, but we haven't come straight out and talked about what's going on with DuckTales. But you, yesterday, did. Well, yeah, there was a a tweet... There was a hashtag
1: that was trending that said, Renew DuckTales 2017. Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to say to everyone who is using this hashtag it's over Mm -hmm. it's done disney channel has not announced it yet Mm -hmm. but this is what's going on and you know what i I honestly didn't know if it was that much of a news story i mean Mm -hmm. you look at how many people are now working on other things that were working on the show i wasn't speaking out of turn Mm -hmm. i didn't think but it ended up being
0: huge Oh, yes, it blew up in a, a large way.
1: Yeah, people were mad that I did it on the day that it went on hiatus. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, but anyway, I wrote about it this morning and said, listen, you know, you're going to end up with way more episodes than mm-hmm. many of the classic Disney afternoon shows because it's not going to end until 2021 at some mm-hmm. point. And, you know, let's be happy for with what we got. But even after I posted the story, it yeah. got even bigger there were two of the top trending topics on Twitter mm. were DuckTales related directly to my reporting. Ugh. So it was crazy. And I was totally taken off guard, caught mm-hmm. off guard by this whole thing. So by the end of the day, mm-hmm. Disney had actually fessed up. Do you want me to read the statement, Jim?
0: Please, please. Okay.
1: The talented creative team led by Matt Youngberg. And Francisco Angones, who are both super talented, we that's my aside, but yes, mm-hmm. uh, have delivered exceptional storytelling with uniquely reimagined characters for three seasons of 75 episodes and more than 15 shorts. Now, I want to just break for a second to tell mm-hmm. you that the 75 episodes means that there are 10 more left. Mm-hmm. Because the episode that aired last Monday was episode 65. Okay. Okay, so that gives us a clue. There you go. So there's mm-hmm. 10 more. Uh, While physical production has wrapped, DuckTales continues to be available daily on Disney channels and Disney Plus around the world, and fans will get an epic season finale in 2021. I don't know why they didn't say series finale. That's sort of odd, but... Mm -hmm. um,
0: I have to admit, I was fascinated by that language as well. Epic season finale, because I think you were talking about it's ceasing physical production? Right. Okay. We all know about the Darkwing Duck reboot that's sort of stepping out of of, in fact, just this season or so of DuckTales. I've also been hearing, again, because Disney Plus has kind of reinvented the entire Walt Disney Company. And so the way people traditionally approach holiday specials, TV series, the like has changed. And so I guess there has been some discussion at some point in the future that you might get some of the band back together, some of the production team to do some other DuckTales stuff, but that- It's just, I mean, it's just so,
1: that is the thing that is the impossibility though, right? It's like everyone has has another job.
0: No, 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 absolutely, absolutely. But at the same time, whenever I talk with somebody at Disney Television Animation about this, they basically turn to DuckTales and go, you know, I think we're kind of considering the SpongeBob business model. And remember, there was a three-year gap or there have been multiple three-year gaps yes, between, yes. between new sets of Spongebob episodes. So, and, you know, people went off and did other things and then came back. By the way, folks, I, I want to point out that on every show we tell you that you really should be paying attention to Drew on social media. And if, if you <laughs> ever need a reason yeah. to do that, what just happened last night is is – the way to go
1: well I also think it's weird that the show started on on Disney XD mm-hmm. and then it moved to Disney Channel and mm-hmm. I feel like that Disney Channel time was when they were really bullish about like that's when all the toys came out and Target and mm-hmm. stuff like that and then they moved it back to XD
0: yeah
1: and it also strikes me as being somewhat reminiscent I mean if I hadn't have said anything mm-hmm. it was gonna be like Gravity Falls where it was gonna be like oh yeah by the way that next episode is the last one ever mm-hmm which is, do you remember when they did that? And I mean, I was at Disney and I was covering Gravity Falls every week and they sent me that note and it was like, oh my God, this is (sighs) insane. Yeah, I even had access to the the unaired pilot version where it was slightly different. Oh. Yeah, it was sort of interesting, but Mm -hmm. we can talk about that for another time. But I'm sad to see it go. I mean, I, I really did not intend for this to blow up. Mm -hmm. I I had no idea. I I mean, they've been gone. They've been off for almost, for over a year. They've been shut down. Yeah, and and,
0: and that's the thing. Within the industry, this was known. But the weird thing is that so many people agreed to sort of keep it a secret. Let's not talk about it in public yet. And you, with your little Twitter account, kind of blew that up. Whoops. This has also been a huge week for Drew. I mean, I don't know if you've seen... The three stories you did in Collider this week, between absolute killer interview with Kelly Mary Tran. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I particularly love her story about having seen the cursed child and then going into that English pub and eating meat pies and, and listening to people across the way discussing the Star Wars movie she was in and she couldn't help herself. She had to go over and talk to them. Yeah,
1: I mean, I I uh, I, I love that story too because I was positioning it as like, I thought she was going to say, oh, this little girl came up to me and said, I, okay. you know, love, but it was her sort of inserting herself in yeah. into somebody else's conversation. It was great.
0: <laughs> I agree. agree. But Drew also did a great piece for Collider that talks about how Soul was almost had an a, a Ocean 11 inspired storyline. But the killer, the absolute killer piece that you have to go read right now is your story about the David Fincher version of 20,000 leagues and how close that came to happening.
1: Yeah. I think I got a lot closer than people realize. And as an addendum to my soul story, yep. What was very interesting about that is that I did the press day and then Disney sent me the audio and mm-hmm. what they did was they accidentally left the tape on a couple extra minutes, Jim. Mm-hmm. So Ooh. I got some banter off the record between some of the um some of the animators and uh I'm going to have to follow up on, with Pixar and get an official story because it sounds like there was one version of Soul Jim mm. that was very weird and potentially set in a Marriott hotel. That's all I'm going to say <laughs> right now. I will just leave that there.
0: Ooh, and okay. we will all have right.
1: to follow up on that. Yeah.
0: I love it when we break news. And speaking of news. News portion of today's show is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of Fine Tuning. For a worry-free travel experience, book online with StorybookDestinations.com. Okay, what do you make of, of how Crude's A New Age did at the box office this past weekend?
1: I guess it's good. I don't know where I don't know where people are seeing this movie anywhere. Mm. I mean... Um,
0: the piece uh, about Tom Lensky, the head of National Sin uh, Media, he was pointing out that given how well it did this past weekend, in what, it sold 14 million worth of tickets? Yeah, a little bit over, I think, yeah. Okay. But he pointed out, it's like, it made that much money, and only 45% of the theaters in America were open. That's astounding unto itself. It was the top-grossing, the best uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday since March. It was the strongest opening for a film, animated or otherwise, since onward. So, what do you make of what he said about you know that this bodes incredibly well?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the the quote that's that um, kind of stuck out to me was he said it's it's proof that movie theaters will bounce back. It's not if, it's when. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I hope that that's true. I just don't. I don't. The question I have is when, because mm-hmm. I don't know when that will happen. Obviously, still things are shut down in New York and LA. Mm-hmm. And things are seemingly going really pretty poorly with the whole coronavirus thing. So
0: we'll see. I read a piece about the slow walk back to normalcy. What they stressed is that we're seeing the first wave of the vaccine. The first sets of vaccines are going to go to first responders and the most vulnerable. But the problem is the Pfizer and Moderna? They might. Yeah. Okay. They're a two-shot vaccine. So folks who get it in late December, early January still have to get the second shot. So that's February. And then, you know, with ramping up and making it available, basically the, the timeline seems to be that most Americans will have the opportunity to start getting the shot in April. Understanding that if it's the two-shot method, it means, you know, they don't complete the process till May. And that seems to be what a lot of people in both the film world and themed entertainment are hanging their hat on now. It's like, okay, that April-May window, that's where we'll start to see movie attendance ramp up, theme park attendance ramp up. So now it's a question of, okay, so what do we put out in theaters to entice people to come back? And where does... The Studio Ghibli, the, the new one, Fall. Do we have a release date on that yet? Or? We don't have... It's actually going to air on Japanese TV.
1: Um, oh, that's right. Next That's month. right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's their version of Soul, I guess, is that they'll, they'll all crowd around the TV to watch this. Okay. But they're... Yeah, it's being handled... I think it's being handled handled by G-Kids in America. So okay. I'm, sh- I'm sure it'll get some kind of release theatrically. I don't know. Or maybe digitally Mm -hmm. we don't know but yeah it's the first sort of three-dimensional cgi Mm -hmm. studio ghibli thing Mm -hmm. and it's interesting looking it does not look as good as lupin the third i think Mm -hmm. that was just kind of the high the high watermark in terms Mm -hmm. of three-dimensional anime Mm -hmm. but i mean it's very cute i mean they they say that hayo is he's credited with planning Mm -hmm. this the movie which i don't know if that was storyboarded or something Mm -hmm. but that his son, I believe, directed it, Goro. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting looking movie, but we okay. will see. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm curious as to how it'll all pan out. But okay.
0: Um, yeah. Now, now <laughs> so you're thinking, G Kids, so it will get some sort of theatrical?
1: Yeah, I'm sure. And I'm sure it'll be a Oscar qualifying run as well. Wow. But you know what's interesting is that somebody in the academy, I, I had him go look at the list of. Uh, fe- animated features in mm-hmm. consideration for the feature Oscar, mm-hmm. animated Oscar, and Wolfwalkers is not on that list. Oh
0: wait a minute! Okay, no. no. and I
1: even and I even messaged Tom mm-hmm. Moore, our you know our good friend, yeah, uh, direct co-director of Wolfwalkers, mm-hmm. and he was going to look into it for me because I said, "What what is this about? Like you got to make sure that this is in." the running because it is an amazing
0: movie no 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 absolutely if also want to remind our listeners here that wolf walker's debuts on apple plus uh next week december 11th and seriously you have to have to have to see this film it's absolutely amazing looking and such wonderful storytelling but what happened there normally geez you need two weeks in la and new york
1: yeah, although oh. this year they changed the rules, and they said if it if it was supposed to come out in theaters, it's still eligible. Okay. So that's how Soul Soul is up for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. So anyway, that's a developing story, Jim. I'll, I'll keep you posted on that. But okay, because I just uh, it,
0: it's such a strange year. I mean. if Only 45% of the theaters in America are open right now. And even then, how many of them are playing Home Alone, you know, right now? Some mix of holiday films. Whereas Demon Slayer... Did you see this headline about how Demon Slayer, an animated feature, has actually overtaken James Cameron's Titanic at the box office in Japan? Yeah. I mean, I remember when you know, all the people at Disney could talk about was, have you seen the crazy amount of money that the original Frozen had made in Japan? In fact, that was one of the reasons it got pow- powered to being a billion-dollar earner.
1: Yeah, it, it, it surpassed Frozen, I think, two weeks ago, I mm-hmm. want to say.
0: And we're talking uh, real money here, folks. Titanic in Japan, back in 97, it made a quarter of a billion dollars. So the fact that uh, homegrown animation animated feature there did as well as it did. It's such a crazy year. It's um, amazing. Yeah. You know. It's amazing. That said though, I guess we should also mention looking ahead to 2021 and where all these animated features end up. What did you make of the the announcement coming out of Netflix about Back to the Outback?
1: Well, I mean, it sounded like that Dreamworks movie that we didn't get a couple of years ago. <laughs>
0: Remember, what was that one called? Oh, uh, Big B. Yeah. In fact, didn't they, they harvest a short out of all yes. the work that had been done? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, I, as you know, Jim, I'm like knee deep and still in my rescuers down under research. So I'm very much in the down under spirit mm-hmm. right now. But what is that line from The Simpsons when when Bart gets arrested in New Zealand where they're talking about America's brief fascination <laughs> with Australian culture in the 90s? <laughs> And he sees the Yahoo Serious uh, Film Festival and he says, those words don't make sense together. Um, <laughs> yes. But, yeah, so it, it feels a little bit like that. But, you uh, know, you and I are looking forward to Pinocchio and mm-hmm. the um, the Henry Selleck movie and stuff like that on Netflix next year. But I'm sure we'll watch this one, too, Jim. No,
0: no, no, no definitely, definitely. But you just mentioned another series, you know, the story genuinely looking forward to on Collider, and and that's your piece about Rescue is Down Under. But there was another animated feature that came out in the same window of time or predated Rescue is Down Under by 17 years. And and that was 1970s Robin Hood. a Very, very strange movie, which we'll talk about right after this break. I know we've talked on, on an earlier show about robin hood and how for example disney was originally supposed to they had in fact they recorded hours of of material with tommy Steele because he was going to voice the title character but this movie has been front of mind for me this week because i was on youtube the other evening and came across a video that somebody had posted that they had taken at disneyland in january of of 74 but it's it's you know how Disney will run its Christmas parade on the the first or the second of January, and then the season was over back then. Right. So as part of this, they they showed that year they had a Robin Hood unit as part of the the Christmas parade at Disneyland, and I've never seen a unit this big at Disney parade. It's it's nuts. It starts off with it's Prince John. With his carriage, but if you remember from the movie where he has like his hippo guard and the the elephants that are dragging the thing and his crocodile aide de camp and all that, and they've got a couple of dozen cast members at, at Disney in full costume playing all of these characters, along with a full size version of the the carriage, and it just seems to go on for minutes with all these characters marching forward because Disney again had convinced themselves that this was going to be their next hit film. 1973 was Walt Disney Productions' 50th anniversary. D23, that's a company founded in 1923. And so this was a significant movie. But the -the behind-the-scenes story of it, especially today, Disney really kind of dodged a bullet. I mean, especially when you think about how Song of the South is hidden in the Disney vault. And wasn't that originally the plan with with Robin Hood that it was, you know, the the idea is that Disney had already done a live action version of Robin Hood back in what, 52, 53? Right. Uh, And so the idea here was that, okay, if we're going to do it animated, let's do it different. So let's set it in the American South.
1: Well, that's what I always thought was so funny about Song of the South was like Mm -hmm. the Splash Mountain was it finally got all these Mark Davis characters kind of in the
0: mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. in the kind of milieu that he was creating for the that original version of Robin Hood.
0: You were pointing out that that if you kind of do the if you look at the stuff that Mark designed for Chanticleer, uh, which was yeah. what sixty sixty one or thereabouts, and how how many of those characters seem to show up in a different form in Robin Hood. Though, I, again, it's easy to understand. I mean, Ken Anderson, as I understand it, worked with Mark on Chanticleer. And then Ken kind of became Disney's development guy. And when Walt got so mad at the way 101 Dalmatians looked with the the new zirography, and Ken had helped design that film, Walt kept after him so so much that, that Ken... I've heard he described as a nervous breakdown or a stroke. <laughs> what? Yeah. Well, I mean, Disney didn't tend to tell stories like this, but Walt really didn't like the way uh, 101 Dalmatians looked. He got that why they had to do it. They had to find a way to make more cost-effective movies. But he felt that the xerography process, there was too much sketch. There was too much rough.
1: Oh, that's why it looks so beautiful to me. At well, least, see, I no, know.
0: That's it exactly. But Walt had come forward, you know, through that whole period of, he can paint folks. And this eliminated one step in that process. And so he kind of blamed Ken and he came after him. And Ken got so sick, he had to step away from Disney Studios for, I want to say, the better part of a year. Wow. And Walt felt bad enough about it that he kept him on full salary. Uh, they covered all of the medical. And when he came back, one of the things Walt did was like, okay, we just shut down development of Bill Pete's version of Jungle Book. And I need you to take that on. And so a lot of the design that it, we know from the Jungle Book of 67, that's Ken. Right. And Walt's over at St. Joe's and Ken goes to visit him there and supposedly brings over to him in the hospital some of the sketches that he had preliminarily done for the Aristocats, uh, which started off life. It was going to be a two-part episode of The Wonderful World of Color. It was going to be done in live action. Right. Walt looks at those, signs off on that. All right, we jump ahead now to Aristocats is, is well along the production pipeline, and it's like, well, what do we do next? And it's like, Ken, by default, ends up developing... Robin Hood, and again, he he remembered that some of our very best animation was done for Song of the South. Those animated scenes are, are stellar. I remember that when we were working on Song of the South in '45, it was one of the happiest times at the studio because the war had ended and a lot of the animators came back. You know, even the guys who had gone away after the strike, and you know, so we we were back up to full strength for years after years, and people were happy. And he wanted to replicate that feeling again at Disney Animation in the 70s. And he puts together this set-in-the-South version of Robin Hood. And Disney goes down this road for this version of the film quite a while. I mean, think about it. They hire Roger Miller, who's a a Country Music Hall of Famer. He writes all the songs for Robin Hood. He also is the film's narrator, Alan Adale. And if you look at the cast, think about it. you got Pat Buttram who's the, the voice of the Sheriff of Nottingham. He's from Green Acres, also longtime, you know, appeared in a lot of Westerns. Same thing with Andy Devine, uh, the voice of Friar Tuck. George Lindsay, who voices Trigger, the vulture in the movie. He's from the Andy Griffith show, Mayberry RFD. And Ken Curtis, who plays Nutsy, Uh, he's Festus from Gunsmoke. you got all of these South and Western stars in this movie. Who ends up producing and directing the movie? But Wooly Reitherman, Wooly, in a a weird sort of way, actually held Disney Animation back during this period because he was watching guys retire and walk out the door and take skill sets, and they hadn't even started the Cal Arts program at this point, so they they didn't have a lot of talent in house to do things, which is why, which brings us to the the infamous phony King of England scene in that movie, which. How much of that is lifted from like Aristocats and Snow White and Jungle yeah. Book? They weren't even lifting from good
1: movies anymore. I mean, you know, I mean? it's like I've always heard Floyd Norman, who mm-hmm. we love, uh, mm-hmm. talk about how it was more work for them to
0: reanimate yes. stuff. Yes, you know, Right. Than it was to just do it. Disney has done this in the past. I mean, for example, if you know where to look. In The Jungle Book, it's the scene where the wolves are greeting Mowgli and knocking him to the ground and licking him. It's basically just trace over of the dog scene with Wart and the dogs at the castle from Sword in the Stone. And likewise, I mean, in Winnie the Pooh and the Buster Day, the dancing heffalumps are just traced over dancing elephants from Pink Elephants on Parade in Dumbo. Even during the second golden age of Disney animation... If you you know where to look in the original hand-drawn version of Beauty and the Beast, you can see Bambi's mom and you can <laughs> see Princess Aurora and Prince Philip dancing. Those scenes are traced over. So it's not like they didn't do it before. It's just that I think the thing about, you know, the phony King England scene is there's just so much reuse. Right. That's one of the reasons why, you know, you can find... That scene, and then people drop side by side with it the scenes that the animation was lifted from uh, multiple times on YouTube. The other thing I think that's fascinating about during this period is this really is a time when Disney is playing it safe. At this point, Phil Harris is on his third Disney movie as a character. He did <laughs> Baloo and Jungle Book and O'Malley and Aristocats, and now here he is as Little John. Also, I guess we need to talk about Monica Evans and Carol Shelley, who came on the entertainment scene in the mid 60s because they were in the Broadway stage version of Neil Simon's The Odd Couple. They played the silly Englishwoman, the Pigeon Sisters, that come into the play halfway through. And they were such a big part of the success of the play that they not only had them come and play the Pigeon Sisters again in Paramount's movie version of The Odd Couple, but they brought them back to play the same characters in the TV version with Jack Klugman and and Tony Randall. Oh, really? This is when they came on Disney's radar. There was this era at Disney Studios where it seemed like the only way you got cast at Disney in an animated feature is if you were on the cover of TV Guide. The whole notion of Ron Miller went home at night and just opened TV Guide. Oh, that's an interesting person. So the Pigeon Sisters inspired the Gabble Sisters, uh, Abigail and Amelia, the two geese sisters we see in the
1: Aristocats. Seems like it would have just been easier to just make them pigeons. But, you know, that's just me.
0: They come into that film. Disney enjoys working with them. So when it comes time to do Maid Marion. And her handmaiden, uh, Lady Cluck. It's same thing. They they turn around and hire Monica Evans and Cal Shirley again. Disney in 73 was so convinced that Robin Hood was going to be a hit. You can go over to DisneyDocs.net right now and look at this report, folks. But it lays out uh, like a five-year plan for the attractions that are going to be built at Walt Disney World starting in 73. And in June of 77, they had penciled in that the Magic Kingdom was going to get its very own Robin Hood ride. And I remember talking with Tony Baxter about this idea, and he said, yeah, I saw that come through the building. But the problem was that Robin Hood didn't have a distinct enough look to warrant an attraction. Can you remember anything about the castle really at all from that movie? No. Uh, or the tournament scene. I think Tony described it as rocks and leaves. If you look at the movie, it's a lot of rocks. It's a lot of leaves. Yeah, you have these cartoon characters, but for an attraction, you need a distinct setting. You have to have people excited, like, oh, we're going to the tournament field, or oh, we're in the treasury where Robin is stealing the stuff. And it's just, people didn't know the film well enough to do that. Which brings me to my next question. If this is really the case... Why are we seeing this live-action Robin Hood CG hybrid that Disney announced back in April?
1: Well, I mean, besides just running out of things to remake, Jim. um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think that what you're talking about is a great reason why it should be remade, though, right? Mm -hmm. You remember the characters. You remember that amazing design work. Mm -hmm. But... The story is a complete fog. I am with you one hundred percent. I watched it recently and don't have much of a grasp on it. So I think it's it's it could be a great thing to to reinvent, but you know, we'll just have to wait and see if that they can get it done. I don't know. Okay.
0: Well, speaking of done folks, that do we are, that we've reached reach the end of this week's show. But that said
1: I have one more thing actually, Jim, that came do through we while do? we were recording. Okay. But okay. is that, that they that the creators of DuckTales have an official announcement too
0: oh no just yes. now na- oh just okay. now yeah so wow they said we've
1: we've always said that you have to go into every season of a show as if mm-hmm. it's your last leave nothing on the table and have faith that your team will eventually be able to top it mm-hmm. with that in mind we crafted season three of ducktales as one focused on legacy on the future of the duck family and what that means tying into questions and mysteries that we set up way back in the very first episode of our show So ultimately, we were prepared for this season to be our last.
0: So they knew
1: Um, our whole team is so proud to be a part of the continuing legacy of these characters. Even more so, we're proud of the community that this show has given us from our dear friends on the cast and crew to all the fans we met in person and online who share the same love that we have for these incredible characters. We're sure we'll have more much more to say later, but right now we want to thank you for all your kind words and support throughout this whole adventure and focus on delivering a fittingly epic adventure for the Clan McDuck as the series draws to a close. Because at the end of the day, we're all fans and we're all family. And family truly is the greatest adventure of all. Huh, that's weird. Usually there's some kind of crash b- before we can finish <laughs> the, oh no, the ground. woo <laughs> Matt and Frank. So there you go, Jim. <laughs>
0: oh i love those guys Uh, yes okay well we could gross. we could be upset but again we still have 10 episodes yet to come and supposedly epic season finale not series finale.
1: yeah but in that recent episode where they're like oh my god we have to go back and collect all the things and Mm -hmm. you know it was like oh this is gonna be awesome like they have set it up for a great finale so i can't wait but anyway so i just wanted to share that jim before that's great.
0: Leave. That's terrific. And speaking of sharing, can can you talk about what's going on with light the Fuse these days? Well, by the way, I would be remiss if I didn't mention: <laughs> is it Katie who's been designing the merch? Oh yeah, Katie is our is our
1: graphic designer, and mm-hmm. she made a absolutely killer sort of fake Christmas sweater T shirt <laughs> that you can get, which oh. is I think really cool.
0: I and I totally agree. The the, the really handsome stuff that's easy to read and yeah. very distinctly. The Mission possible films so yes
1: and, and and what really is annoying is mm-hmm. that she does it like in a couple hours while she's sitting <laughs> on the couch you know whereas <laughs> i'm slave i'm still trying to get this rescuers down under thing written and she's just like doot, da, deet, doot, and then you know there's an amazing design but you know
0: well like I, I, you and i both lucked out you, you got katie i got nancy it's a yes. cool number one to success folks marry a smarter woman
1: yes yes <laughs>
0: To pivot back to light the fuse, what's coming down the pike?
1: Oh, I think well, we're, we've got our Leslie Ann Warren episode coming up, Jim, which I think you'll love. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are we did a, a crossover with another great podcast called the King Cast, and their mm-hmm. whole thing is about Stephen King. So we kind of oh. look at uh, Brian De Palma because mm-hmm. he started. He basically started Stephen King's career and he started the Mission Impossible franchise. So that was actually a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we got a ton of great episodes. And then uh, rolling into uh, the John Wick miniseries in the spring, we're, we're trying to, to wrap that up in a dynamic way as well. We are, you know, we would love to get a certain Duke Kaboom to, to close out that series. So that's what we're working on right now.
0: Well, okay. You know. That sounds amazing. Holy cow. Well, over on the Jim Hill Media Podcast and yeah, we, we, we got Disney Dish with Lentesto, we got Universal Joys with Dustin Fuse, we got Marvelous Disney, the show I do with Aaron Adams. We also have Looking at Lucasfilm, we're doing the last couple of episodes I'm, I'm doing with Dan Z, which makes me sad, but what are you going to do? And Shelley Valladolid and I are working on a Christmas, special Christmas edition of I Want That, the merch show, which hopes to be out soon. If you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and recommend not only fine tuning, but also light diffuse, that would be very, very helpful. And if you really enjoyed what you heard here tonight, if you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that helps pay for multiple copies of The Art of Onward. Uh, Can you remind folks how to find you on social media, Drew? Yes,
1: it's Drew Tailored, like a tailored shirt. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, that's me on Instagram and Twitter. So follow along.
0: Okay. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media and over on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. And thanks for listening, folks. And we will be back soon.